I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, former England winger Trevor Sinclair, and Talk Sports football commentator and transfer man Alex Crook. Liverpool get cold feet. Northwest based drama as the champions are humbled at home. Becker blunders help City take charge of the Premier League. It's Jeepers Keepers at Old Trafford too, as De Gea and Olsen slip up and Fernandez and Calvert-Lewin step up again. Tommy T gets another three as Chelsea moved within a point of the top four. Arsenal lose at Villa. Wolves and Leicester draw a blank and the VAR controversy at the Cottage. All on the podcast that has got everything under control, just like Antonio Rudiger. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Delighted to say that Trevor Sinclair is here with a big cheesy grin on his face, being a former Manchester City player. Alex Crook is with us as well. Now, far be it from me to be um, ruinous and be negative in any way, shape or form towards the Premier League. But with Manchester City five points clear with a game in hand and eight points separating 17th and 18th, are we in danger of not having much to play for by the end of the month? Um, I think when you're talking about European places, I think there's a lot of teams competing for them places. And that'll probably be where the most excitement is in the Premier League this season. For me, you look at the, the lead that Manchester City have built up, you look down the bottom and you feel... The performance and quality that Burnley have got, the, the results Newcastle and Brighton have got of recent times, I find it very difficult to see any change at the bottom either. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, look, it looks like Pep's got it right with his tactics. The players have stepped up with even having out, um, a striker available for a, a lot of the season and probably one of the best players in the world missing. Uh, they've managed to get over it and pluck a, a, a run of games together, which... Uh, and on our, uh, uh, okay, Trev, okay, Trev, we'll let you wax lyrical about how great Manchester City are in just a second. We know you can't wait to get to it. We will we'll get there for you. Don't worry. I know you're very <laughs> excited. He, he can't contain his joy. Uh, Crook, very quickly, tell me, is it all over? Well, if I was to say I'd like to congratulate Trevor Sinclair, who sat there in his Champions uh, <laughs> 2021 T-shirt, then I think I'm answering your question. Yes, it's all over. So you're giving um, up. So as a Manchester United fan, the closest challengers to Manchester, you're giving up in, in February. We were never in the title race. And again, we'll talk about United later. But actually, your brother-in-law, who's also a Manchester City uh, United fan, put it into context last night for me and said, look, we were never going to win the league this season. 
let's just enjoy the fact they're fun to watch again. They were fun to watch against Everton. They made some stupid errors defensively. It was a game they should have won. But listen, it, it was a it was a thrill ride. And after some of the dross that has been served up at Old Trafford since Sir Alex Ferguson went, I think at the moment in time, with a rookie manager who's learning on the job, that's as much as you can ask for. I hope they can finish second. I think they're favourites to be runners-up to Manchester City. And I think that would be progress. But I think you have to credit Pep Guardiola. He's had to go away from playing such intense football because he's realised, unlike Jurgen Klopp perhaps, that it's going to take a physical toll on his players. It's more attritional. But listen, the, the performance against Liverpool, they were back to somewhere near their swaggering best. But they, they're just grinding out wins. And I think it's a question by how many points they win the league by. And I think it'll be 15 points minimum. Oh, dear, oh dear. That is a big prediction. OK, we'll look at uh, whether or not Manchester United can close the gap after their draw at home to Everton, whether or not Manchester City are going to run away with it. Let's start at Anfield, where the home team were humble. Liverpool won Manchester City for its city's title to lose. They take a huge step forward in their quest to be champions. Liverpool surely now not part of the conversation. They couldn't live with Pep's rampant team in the second 45. A tenth straight Premier League win for Manchester City. They look unstoppable. Liverpool can now focus on finishing top four. Liverpool won. Man City 4. Yeah, Phil uh, deserves all, all the credit. Um, he's, doing, he's doing really well, I think, uh, compared to, to the last seasons. He uh, stepped up his game again this season. And he's still so young, we can't forget that. Um, and um, yeah, there's uh, still a lot, uh, a lot to come for him. And uh, I'm obviously very happy to have him in our team. He gives us an incredible, uh, an incredible um, quality. And uh, yeah, it's just great to see, to see that young kid playing. I cannot more words to, to be grateful and thanks to these players. But it's the past. We have done brilliantly. So I cannot deny it. We are so happy. But we are in February. Still, we are in the second or third games on the second leg. But for us, for Manchester City especially, you know, three points, but come here, finally win, it's important. Liverpool won, Manchester City four. Manchester City started this game, Trevor, without a recognised striker and scored four at Anfield. Um, they missed the penalty as well. When I say missed the penalty, I mean, I still think <laughs> it's rising over the top of the cop. Um, Gundogan over the bar after uh, Sterling was fouled by Fabinho. Stupid challenge, really. They could afford to miss that penalty, still go on to win it, mainly because of the fact that they play better than, uh, than Liverpool over the course of the 90 minutes. But boy, did they get a helping hand from Alisson. Yeah, I think you've got to look at the, the goalkeeping mistakes. Um, played a really key part in uh, Liverpool. Um, their lack of performance and not being able to get anything from the game. But I have to say, even before that, even when Diaz made the mistake to give uh, Mo Salah the penalty, I thought that the tactical changes that Pep had made, um, I thought Manchester City were bossing the game and it was almost a, against the run of play that they got that chance. And uh, the way that the game ended up going and in a way, the nutmegs from Cancelo and Firmino and Jesus in the corner, Cruyff in it, and, and they, they toyed with Liverpool. It was honestly, I, I couldn't, I, I, you, if you would have said to me who won the league last year on the basis of that game, you would definitely say Manchester City are the defending champion because Liverpool didn't look a shadow of themselves. Well, let's give you a statistic on, on, on exactly that because after 23 games this season, Liverpool now have 
27 fewer points than they did at the same stage last season. The biggest drop by any reigning champion at this stage of a campaign in English top flight history. That is a damning statistic. And, and there's two strands to this. One is the magnificence of Manchester City, which I'll come on to. But the second is Liverpool. Um, and we had a lot of uh, Liverpool fans calling the boot room on Sunday night, defending Jurgen Klopp, saying that it's a freak season. There's no fans in, in Anfield. Well, there's no fans anywhere. So I'm not buying that as an argument. We've got injuries. Yes, they have. But so did Manchester City with Aguero uh, being out. And, and Leicester City as well have had lots of key absentees, actually. And they're still up there fighting for, if not the title, then certainly the top four. And I think Liverpool are in danger of slipping out of the top four, which is incredible considering how good they've been for the last two years. But there are similarities between what's happening now at Liverpool and what happened when Jurgen Klopp was in charge of Borussia Dortmund and and players just not being able to keep up the intensity that he demands for a prolonged period. But Manchester City were sensational. Um, Took half an hour to warm up. I think they expected more of a fight for Liverpool and when it became clear that wasn't materialising they really took control of the game and let their class tell and and what about the Mancunian Messi Phil Foden <laughs> absolutely sensational and I think we have to credit Pep Guardiola because he got a lot of criticism last season Foden's not playing enough game time needs to go out on loan he said no look we, we've got a plan David Silva's going to depart at the end of the season he will get his chances and even this season He's integrated him slowly. He doesn't necessarily play every week. They had a situation to handle after what happened in Iceland with England. I think Pep Guardiola has probably handled that better than Manchester United when you look at Foden's form and, and Greenwood's form since that incident. I think he's put an arm around the shoulder and he is now starting to fulfil the undoubted talent that he has. Um, what was Liverpool's problem then, Trevor? Um, I, mean, I mean, obviously, we, there's, there was a lot right with Manchester City. Crook has already articulated that he thinks maybe they've been asked to do too much. But are there other issues there that aren't going to resolve themselves unless Jurgen Klopp starts to realise that actually he's got an issue going forward with scoring goals because apart from the penalty today, they didn't really look like troubling Manchester City too often. Yeah, I think um, I actually thought they played quite well after the initial 15 minutes Liverpool. I thought the the chance that Mane had, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold put a great cross in. He'll be disappointed that he didn't hit the target and probably should have scored. Um, But in general, after that opening 45 minutes, Manchester City made the adjustments to their shape and formation and uh, completely took over the game. And, uh, you know, I I, I feel the problem that they've got is the players that they're playing in defence are being missed in midfield. Um, Fabinho and Henderson. Why didn't he play the centre-backs that he signed on deadline day? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's the question that I was asking myself. Maybe he's not had enough time to integrate them to the squad, to their way of playing, etc., etc. I don't know. You would have thought an actual centre-back was better at centre-back than Jordan Henderson, with all due respect to Jordan Henderson, who's been very good. It's a tricky one, Sam, because it's almost like you've got to earn the right to play in the team. And... Uh, if you get integrated to the squad and there's already a pecking order and all of a sudden you buy two new players and you go straight into the team and then Curtis Jones gets dropped to the bench because Henderson's coming in and so on and so forth, you can lose the dressing room from an organic point of view when you've got relationships with them players. And I actually feel Klopp has got them relationships with these players. For me, if you're doing it for the right reasons and if the players coming in are good enough, they should be going into that, them positions and playing Fabinho and Henderson in the correct positions. Maybe it's a mistake. But what I will say about Manchester City is they completely dictated the game second half. And 
Uh, Liverpool were quite fortunate it wasn't more. Alisson had a nightmare. We all know that. But you have to say the tactical change that Pep made by putting um, Foden out on the right, Jesus up top, and the press was better. It was more committed. And Alisson just didn't have any passes on. And that's why he panicked. And that's why they won the ball up high. And that's why they got rewarded with the goals that they scored. So, yeah, um, brilliant tactical play from uh, Pep and the team. I thought they, they played superbly well. And the personality that he has shown after giving that penalty away was was incredible. Jurgen Klopp's excuse for the mistakes by Alisson was the fact that he, he may have had cold feet um, because it was, <laughs> it, the weather wasn't particularly good at, at Anfield. Um, if he did have cold feet, I can, I can point him in the direction of where you can buy some heated socks. And for only 40 five pounds um and you can you can just plug a little battery in and that will keep you warm throughout the course of an <laughs> afternoon evening whatever they're, they're very durable actually sometimes they last for eight hours um but they do have a problem scoring goals don't they because they've only scored one goal at anfield um since december the 27th and that was the penalty that, that they scored today whether or not they're still creating chances and everyone thinks those, 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 those goals will come. Actually, psychologically, that's a barrier that you've got to get over. That's a hurdle you've got to get over every time you play at home. Yeah, and it's, I don't think it's a problem that's going to be solved overnight. It's, it's also the, uh, the first time that defending champions in the top flight have lost three successive home games since Chelsea back in 1956. So that's another unwanted piece of history they've lost to Burnley they've lost to Brighton obviously they were beaten away from home by Manchester United in the FA Cup they've been held at home by West Bromwich Albion that aura has long since gone I do think the lack of a home crowd probably has been a contributory yeah, factor definitely in that but at the moment it's difficult and they've had to see... major injuries haven't they I mean you know Virgil van Dijk you take Virgil van Dijk out yeah. of the team and obviously that's going to to cause them a massive problem. Alisson has been in and out all season. Firmino hardly scores a goal now. That front line needed freshening up. They brought in Jota. He then got injured. So there has been mitigating circumstances. But as you've already pointed out, the mitigating circumstances don't deny the fact that they haven't been playing well. And they've got difficult games to come. Leicester, away from home, live on TalkSport next Saturday. Everton, okay. at home live on Talk Sport a week on Saturday. I mean, Everton, we know about their wretched record at Anfield, but Carlo Ancelotti would have been watching that game and they must be believing now, Everton, they won't get a better chance to go across Stanley Park and, and end that run. I, I think it could get worse before it gets better for Liverpool. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com the premier league all access podcast is proud to be brought to you by ladbrooks there's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch with the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go.
Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Fernandez once again. Back infield to Rashford, who stops the ball, looks up, produces a cross. Cavani is underneath it, heads it down, and past Olsen. It's a brilliant cross from Rashford. It's an easy header for Cavani, and Manchester United take the lead. Fernandez edge of the area, played in by Wambasaka, right footed towards the far corner. That is magnificent. Entirely sure that there's much of a route back into this game unless they score quickly. And Calvin Lewin looking to do that, looks to get in behind Maguire, does, runs into the six yard box, sends it back into the centre. It's parried away by De Gea into the path of De Kure, and he tucks it home and they are back in this game. De Kure is quickest to it right side back to the edge of the box. James Rodriguez too much space finishes brilliantly beyond De Gea and Everton a level. Here's a free kick taken by Shaw into the penalty area. A header by McTominay and it's beyond Olsen and in and Manchester United are back in front. It's a brilliant delivery and it's an excellent header from Scott McTominay who's having a great season in front of goal. It's aimed into the penalty area, flicked on, runs loose, Calvert-Lewin past the goalkeeper and equaliser in stoppage time for Everton, denies Manchester United victory. Chaos inside the penalty area from a deep free kick, Robin Olsen calls problems, Calvert-Lewin provided the finish, it's Manchester United 3, Everton 3, what a finish at Old Trafford. Manchester United 3, Everton 3, Manchester United won this game twice, Trevor, and still didn't get all three points. How frustrating was it to walk away with just one point, uh, bearing in mind after throwing away a two-goal lead, uh, they then managed to give away an equaliser with one second to go? Yeah, I think it's it's almost um, Manchester United this season for me. They're very consistent at times, and then when they really need to get over the line and and really make a charge for being serious title challengers. They seem to trip up and it's difficult to say, you know, I've been a big fan of Harry Maguire and um, of, of Lindelof next to him this season. I thought Lindelof gets a lot of stick unnecessarily and people have said Baez, he's a better player. But for me, Baez, more, um, he, he's more, he has more mistakes in him. Um, he's a little bit too harsh and he wants to dive in and go to ground too often and, I do feel Lindelof and Harry Maguire have got a good partnership, but again, at the vital time when they really need to step up and have that great communication and understanding and defending quality, they fail and can't get over the line against, you've got to say, a decent Everton side this season. who have got good players and Dominic Calvert-Lewin doing what he's done for, for quite a while and now scoring in the dying seconds of the game. I, I thought that it was a brilliant watch. I really enjoyed doing it. I thought the United goals, especially... The Cavani header from Rashford's absolutely wow. delicious cross was something to behold. I thought Bruno Fernandes, with his excellent, exquisite finish, was Cantona-esque. And I said that uh, to Mark Hughes uh, at the time. Um, but how concerning is it that David De Gea had another off day? I mean, for me, when that free kick comes into the box, OK, he doesn't come out and take charge of it. It might be too far for him to come out and try and punch or get anything on. But once it drops to Calvert-Lewin, there's two beats. Boom, boom. By that time, he needs to be on him. He needs to be big. He needs to be sprawling his limbs in every direction. He seemed to make himself smaller. He was slow off his line. He made a mistake uh, for the uh, first goal that Everton scored as well. And that's cost United dear. 
he wasn't brave enough um, for the equaliser, although I have seen a still shot and it is Harry Maguire who's playing all of the Everton players on side. So it's not solely De Gea's fault. But you know my views on this. It's not not solely because two ends, maybe should never give them the free kick in the first place. Yeah, it's a catalogue of errors. But David De Gea was a very good goalkeeper. He was the best goalkeeper in the world. He hasn't been since the 2018 World Cup. He had a poor tournament for Spain. His confidence was shattered. There was talk he might leave Manchester United. He signed a contract clearly for the money. It was a lack of ambition really staying at Manchester United at that time. And he's coasted through. And I think now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been very loyal to David De Gea because it's not the first mistake that he's made. It won't be the last uh, as long as he stays in the team. He has an heir apparent in Dean Henderson, I think has proved himself in the games that he has played. He deserves his chance to be number one. I think David De Gea has been a great servant, has been a great goalkeeper. He's won numerous Player of the Year awards at Manchester United. Now is the time to say thank you very much. We are going in a new direction because you are costing us points. Well, he will drop him, not drop him, but he will replace him for the game on to Tuesday night because uh, Henderson almost always plays in the cup game. So he, w- he will play in that particular uh, fixture. Uh, that's live on TalkSport, by the way, Manchester United against West Ham. Um, but do you think that's the right thing to do, Trevor, long term? Yeah, I just wanted to go on, just go on and react on, from what Alex has said about David De Gea. I think David De Gea has been the best shot stopper for a while, um, like you said, up until 2018. But for me, there's always been flaws in his game. Um, he's never had the, the, the his technique. feet aren't good enough, are they? Not great. You look at Edison, you look at even Stefan, you know, who's coming at Manchester City, you understand why Stefan's gone to Manchester City and why he's being given opportunities in the cup because he's so familiar and so at ease with the ball at his feet. And also, uh, something that I've always thought uh, there's a problem with De Gea is one, his bravery. I, I, I just don't, he doesn't fill me with confidence. If the ball's there and he's going to, he needs to dive at a striker's feet with his, with his hands and face, I don't see him doing that. He's a bit timid looking, isn't he? He doesn't give you the, yeah, the, the but, belief that he's going to come and save you. But you still can be brave. And then on crosses, I've never been filled with confidence that he's going to dominate his own six-yard box, never mind anywhere else. And I think there's been flaws in his game. He's got away with it because of his, goal, because of his actual shot-stopping skills, yeah. which have been exceptional. But I think he's getting found out now, the way the game's evolving for goalkeepers. And I, I do feel the change is, is, is about, right, about to happen. It, it was an exceptional game of football. It was fun to watch. And you mentioned it at the top of how Manchester United are entertaining to watch. And, and they're certainly that. I actually think that you know, maybe not enough credit is given to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for making a team that is actually a joy to watch. Because they are. They're, they're built in the traditions of Manchester United now. You know, they, they want to entertain. They will concede goals. But that's because they, they've, they've got a bit of adventure about them. You know, a year ago, when the, I was at the game when you know, at, they lost to Burnley at Old Trafford on what was the most stinking night ever. It was my wedding anniversary. And I said, I know, I've got a great idea. I've got a night off tonight. Why don't we go to Manchester United versus Burnley? And my wife did come. I don't think she's ever <laughs> forgiven me. Um, it, it was dreadful. And you look at them now, they're completely completely different side. Uh, one thing I did want to raise with you, I spoke to Tom Davis actually after the, the, the game um, and uh, he said, I asked him, how did you celebrate when Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored the equalising goal in the fifth minute of injury time? And he said, I didn't. And I said, what? He said, no, I, I didn't celebrate. I, I waited because I've seen so many situations over the last few weeks where VAR has then gone on and chalked out such a moment that I thought I would wait, make sure that it's definitely been allowed, and then I would enjoy myself afterward. What, what does that say about the impact 
of the technology in the game. It says it's an emotion killer. Um, and I've seen it described as, as a goal killer. And I think we've had a nightmare week, haven't we? You know, um, I had a big rant on this on Sunday night with Darren Bent and Darren Ambrose. Mike Riley's got to take a handle of this situation because I'm now getting messages from football fans saying, I've cancelled my Sky subscription. I've cancelled Beast Sport. I'm not interested anymore. VAR has ruined my love for football. And that's a concern. There yeah. will be supporters who won't want to go back to stadiums even when COVID yeah. is over because they do not feel that VAR is making it a, a decent watching experience. There's people who rather watch non-league football now in the Premier League and that is on Mike Riley's watch because he promised us right at the start of this project minimal interference for maximum benefit. That isn't happening. Okay, well, we will talk about it in a little bit more detail when we get to the West Ham uh, Fulham game. There's nothing else to talk about in the West Ham Fulham game, so we might as well talk about uh, that red card. Uh, Sheffield United, um, they were beaten at home by Chelsea by two goals to one on Sunday. Three wins and a draw now for Thomas Tuchel. Uh, They're up to fifth. They're one point behind Liverpool in fifth position they sit so they're one point off the top four now uh, Mason Mount put Chelsea in front then Rudiger inexplicably uh, gives Sheffield United a way back in Chelsea then went straight up the other end Timo Werner gets a penalty I suppose this is a VAR discussion actually because the first question Trevor is how on earth does Kevin Friend or the assistant who, who are both standing in a sort of triangle perpendicular to where the offence takes place not given the penalty in the first place there is a, a point where I listened to, to Crooks ran on the Darren Bent boot room. I believe it's on Twitter uh, doing the rounds there. Uh, he, he, you have made one fundamental error in that, um, in, in that rant. There he we'll, goes. And we'll talk about that in just <laughs> a second. Uh, Dr. VAR. Dr. VAR here, yes. Yes, the saddest man in the room. Um, Billy Sharp, 600th career appearance. Congratulations to him. And he actually made Mendy produce a really good save late on. Once again, it's another one of those games, Trevor, where Sheffield United are actually in it right to the very end. Mm. They haven't been blown away. And we talked about expected points on the podcast on Thursday. Actually, they should have more than they've got. They're not as bad as people have made out. But are they going to stay up? Is there any chance they can stay up and make Crook do the final podcast of this series naked? Well, just for that fact alone, I hope they don't. But listen, the players... (laughs) We all all do. (laughs) The, play, the players are still fighting for the manager. It's as simple as that, you know. Yes. Um, you look at the way they fight for each other. You look how close every game that they've been losing, especially they've still been in right to the end. It's just, uh, I think if they would have started well, confidence, uh, belief, uh, and all these things that make up a, a hell of a lot of a player's quality would have been a lot higher and they would have been fine. They got a poor start and... And maybe that is a lot to do with the home form and, and the fact that they've not got supporters um, at Bramall Lane. But they've got off to a poor start and then it was almost, it was like impossible to get that confidence. And then you're asking players for, to, to find different things in their personality. And unfortunately, I, I feel they've, they've answered them questions, they've just not got the quality to match that. I sent Crook an analysis of Sheffield United season earlier in the week in, in which basically... It went through their expected goal stats for this season, their expected goal stats for last season, their expected goals against, their expected uh, go, uh, uh, points that they were supposed to get. And all of the margins aren't that different. They're a little bit poorer when it comes to expected goals. They're a little bit poorer in terms of expected goals against per game. But mm-hmm. they don't, that wouldn't explain such a major swing 
from where they were last season to this season. I think probably what we've seen is that last season they were a little bit lucky and this season they've been incredibly unlucky. And those two things added together has seen this chasm between what they produced last campaign and what they produced this campaign. Actually, their overall performances aren't that much different. But they're a championship squad who overachieved last season. And always were. And have now been found out. They are probably the club in the Premier League who've suffered more than anybody else from playing in front of an empty stadium because Bramall Lane, as we know, Trevor's played there, we've been there, is a very intimidating venue. And without that 12th man, they've struggled to get themselves going. Chelsea have done quite well, though, haven't they, Trevor? They've, they've managed to sort of reassert their authority on games. They've controlled all the matches that I've seen them play uh, since Thomas Tuchel has taken charge. They're not particularly swashbuckling they don't get you off the off the seat but they they have won more than they've lost and they're still unbeaten yeah and I think the fact that they're not conceding a lot of goals I think that's a huge thing because unfortunately for Frank one of the the biggest reasons why I feel he may have lost his job was the amount of goals that he conceded per game and it was one of the lowest managerial um, amounts um, for Chelsea over recent managers so yeah he's tightened it up at the back um Again, I don't think the, 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 there's that much difference going forward, um, but they are winning games because they're keeping more clean sheets and they're looking more secure at the back. But you're looking at the squad today, it's, it's starting to morph into much more like the squad of players that started games or played games for Frank. And, you know, I think that the, the squad quality and the individual within that squad, uh, the better players will, you know, train well, fight their way into that team and eventually it will be a very similar team to what what Frank was playing I believe Timo Werner was really good for the rest of the team I mean he still hasn't scored his goal but he was brilliant in terms of what he did for the rest of the team created two goals or two assists uh, in that match Uh, and he did an excellent interview afterwards in which he said and he was quite sort of clear about it you know I haven't scored enough goals and I need to score goals you know I will score goals. This has never happened to me before and, and don't worry about it. Um, they said, well, should you have not taken the penalty to, to make you feel good? He, goes, he said to Patrick Davison, who was interviewing him, did you see my penalty against Luton? Probably I need to get some <laughs> proper goals first before I start taking penalties again. I, I just thought that was, I thought it was just a very good interview and it showed that actually maybe his mind isn't as clouded as maybe sometimes we think. Yeah, and it probably shows already that Thomas Tuchel's arrival is helping him settle. I think Thomas Tuchel was very honest when he first came in and said, it's my job to put my arm around him and and, and get the best out of him. And um, I think his performance levels have improved. And as long as that keeps happening, the goals inevitably will come. I mean, we, we spoke at the top of the programme about Liverpool possibly being vulnerable in terms of the top four. I think I've seen enough already from Thomas Tuchel's four matches in charge to suggest Chelsea are going to have a very good final 15, 16 games of the season. So at the moment, you have to say, as brutal as it felt at the time, that decision to remove the manager mm. and, and bring in Thomas Tuchel already appears to be excited. reaping its rewards. Just don't get excited too yet. Things change very quickly in the Premier League <laughs> uh, this season. I mean, for example, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, in fact, just seven days ago, Mikel Arteta was on a cracking run. Memories of Aston Villa's glorious European history are never too far away at this iconic stadium. Early chance for Watkins, and he's found the corner. Ollie Watkins inside two minutes. 
Aston Villa off to a dream start. Left-footed delivery, good save, Martinez. Hung in the air, it was heading for that top left-hand corner. Here's Traore, tries to dink it over Ryan, he saves it well. Still alive inside the penalty area, Barkley with a shot. Brave block by Gabriel. Here is Pepe, shoots, blocked by target, Pepe again. And he hammers that one, right-footed, high over the crossbar and into the middle tier of the whole end away to our right Watkins into Grealish Grealish trying to stretch this Arsenal team forward to Barkley Barkley in the penalty area shoots into the side netting here's Pepe in the penalty area can he get a shot off Pepe tries to guide it right footed into the bottom corner just a couple of yards wide in the end looking to work the space for a shot here Villa McGinn might get one away and that's another good save from Ryan the referee should really stop play Pepe with a cross though Aubameyang can't turn it home inside the six yard books Pepe with a cross come shot well responded by Martinez good reactions from the goalkeeper who was unsighted Grealish left footed good save by the goalkeeper and managed to claw it away as well from Watkins it's finished here at Villa Park Aston Villa 1 Arsenal 0 you two have spent quite a lot of time together this weekend because you were at Aston Villa against uh, Arsenal another Midlands mishap for Mikel uh, Villa were controlled, excellent on the break, showed what a good team they are. Mikel Arteta said decisions went against us today. Uh, to my eye, I thought that actually they were distinctly second best. You two were there. What did you think? I agree. Um, I did the interview with Mikel Arteta after the game and, and when he said the decision-making was poor, I, I actually thought he was talking about the players. And it was only when I <laughs> went in with a follow-up question that he said, no, no, I mean the officials. And I was scratching my head about that. There was a case that maybe it was a possible red card when Concert brought down Saka, but we agreed in commentary that he was too far from goal. There was a half-hearted penalty appeal that I didn't see. He said Arsenal dominated the game, Trevor, and that wasn't how we saw it. You know, they barely laid a glove on Martinez. He made one really good save from a Xhaka free kick, but it was a save that you would expect him to make. By and large, that Aston Villa defence had Arsenal exactly where they wanted them, and I felt 1-0 was a deserved scoreline. Yeah. Too, too passive, Arsenal, at the beginning. Really, really passive. Um, obviously, um, Villa went into a lead very early because of that passiveness from the Arsenal players. But like Cookie said, you know, they, ch- they got into a lot of good positions, I thought, Arsenal. But the de- defending, especially from Matty Cash and, and on the other side, Matty Tyler, I thought they were outstanding. You Great know, when- play from both of them, weren't they? They're defending. Brilliant. Was- yeah, brilliant. We, uh, when we, I, I, I give uh, Matty Cash man of the match, but... Tyron Mings was good. Conser was good. And Emmy Martinez, I mean, if there was one goalkeeper that you you back on, on the day, it certainly was him. He A was great, class. great save from Xhaka, wasn't it? Yeah, great save. But not only that, he, he, like we said, De Gea doesn't. He completely he had all authority in his own 18-yard box. He completely controlled everything. You know, he's he, vocally was very good with his defence, the way he spoke to him. When he, when he came out to claim something, everyone moved out of the way because they knew he was coming in and they were confident that he'd come and get it. I thought it was a really good performance. It looked very lively on the break, as usual as well, uh, Aston Villa. And yeah, Dean Smith will be delighted with the way that performance went and the way that they defended a lot of situations late on in the game. What about mini Matt Ryan in the uh, um, Arsenal goal? Uh, considered 74 <laughs> seconds into his debut. Oops. I think he actually played okay, Matt Ryan. Um, it, it wasn't the cleanest of strikes from Ollie Watkins, but he... He would, he would have done well to save that shot. And actually, he did make one or two saves. Again, that you would probably expect him to make, but he didn't make any 
mistakes. I think as debuts go, he, he would have been reasonably satisfied, but wasn't given enough protection, certainly for, for the winning goal from his back line. What, what, what's your percentage of appearance bonus, by the way, for Matt Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> after, after engineering that move. Did you get paid for that as well? I'll, I'll take 10%. I'll take 10%. <laughs> I, I actually said will. in commentary, I actually said in commentary, how tall is he? Because the Aston Villa players went up for a corner and he stood next to him and I thought, he looks about five foot eight. <laughs> but he play, I thought he played well. I, I didn't think it was an okay game. I thought he actually played well. Um, but it's just a, bit, a shame that his, his defence and the way that his team played uh, didn't give him a chance to be on the winning side. I thought it was interesting that uh, Mikel Arteta, as you mentioned, said we've dominated in every department. Well, I went through the statistics today because um, he said that. And uh, Aston Villa had eight shots on target. Arsenal had three. So... In one of the key areas where you need to dominate if you're going to win a game, they really didn't, did they? <laughs> it was a strange interview because I think, by and large, Mikel Arteta has always been very honest about his team's successes and failures. But I just didn't view the game the same way that he did. And, um, you know, we thought they turned a corner, as you mentioned, right at the top of this section. Fortunes can change, particularly this season. But I think that's Arsenal. I think there's a lack of stardust in this Arsenal team. Saka's exceptional, by the way, and he was the unshining mm. light. Aubameyang still looked off colour when he came on. Lacazette was frustrated to be taken off, but didn't really do anything to deserve to stay on. They're not going to qualify for Europe via the conventional route. I think their best bet is the Europa League, but I'd be surprised if they won that as well. Let me ask you this question. Do you like watching Arsenal? Are they good to watch? No, apart from Saka. I think you can add Kieran Tierney into that as well. He's an exciting player to watch. He's obviously out at the moment. Um, but for me, you know, you look at, just looking at the two number nines, Ollie Watkins on one hand was running in the channels, was holding the ball up like his life depended on him. He was getting into goal scoring situations. And I'm looking at Lacazette and I'm thinking, what is he actually bringing to this side? Really static, quite passive out of possession when he goes and presses. Completely contrasting in, in the performances and also it seemed the mentality and Ollie Watkins, you know, for the, for the price they picked him up, really looks like a steal to me. Uh, let's move on to St. James's Park where uh, for the last 18 minutes, it certainly was a slog on the time uh, because uh, Newcastle had to hang on in there. It was a terrific, terrific match. It's their first win in six games. Newcastle in front early on, two quick goals. Minamino with a very good finish to make it 2-1 for South uh, with two, um, uh, Newcastle United. Um, Almiron takes advantage of Bertrand dawdling on the edge of the area after McCarthy with a little goalkeeping mishap another one this weekend James Ward-Prowse with a fantastic free kick an unreachable free kick then Jeff Hendrick gets sent off for a second yellow card Bednarek nearly gets sent off for the second time in four days then they have to play 18 minutes with nine men because they've used too many of their substitutes and Fabian Scher gets injured uh, doing some stupid tackle on the edge of the penalty area after a really poor uh, free kick it was a proper spectacle this game wasn't it yes it was but I think if, if I'm looking at it from a Southampton perspective it, it, in some ways it was as alarming as conceding nine against Manchester United because they had a lot of their senior players back this wasn't a, a team of kids as perhaps we saw at Old Trafford to concede three goals against this Newcastle team is is criminal really and, and to not manage to at least come away with a point 
playing against take, nine take, men. Take, take your Southampton hat off and just enjoy the game. For Newcastle fans, this is, must, must have been great. Actually, it wasn't great for them at all. They absolutely hated it. They were in front. They were leading by three goals <laughs> to two, but they were down to nine men and they were moaning about the fact that Steve Bruce was being too defensive. I saw them on Twitter. <laughs> oh, look what they've done now. Five defenders, three midfielders. That's it. Zero up front. I couldn't stop <laughs> laughing. I thought it was the most, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. They're still moaning about the fact they're being defensive. What else was he supposed to do in that circumstance? Look, I've given him pelters for some of the football they've played, but there was no way out of that situation, Trevor. No, no, you've got to defend the lead uh, in that situation, nine men. Um, I actually like um, the way Newcastle play at times. I, I think Callum Wilson, again, as a as traditional number nine, he's great at his hold-up play. I think Almiron and, and um, St. Maximum, you know, supporting that, if they can get up and support him quite rapidly... They're a dangerous free for any defence to try and handle. And they've just got to try and get the balance right. I do believe they needed that legs in midfield. We was at the Everton game. And I just feel the ball's up to Callum Will. He's going to hold it up. But how, how long do you expect him to hold it up? Now they've got the legs in midfield um, with the loan from the loanee player from Arsenal uh, coming in and, and scoring on his debut. Great um, that for him, wasn't it? Brilliant. And like you know what? He could have stayed at Arsenal, got a couple of games for the rest of the season and been very comfortable. And... You have to give him respect because he wants to play football. He's prepared to put himself out of that comfort zone, go up where it's freezing, by the way. Uh, the, the beast from the East has arrived in Newcastle. He doesn't care. He just wants to play football. And, you know, that's a reward for him doing that, getting that opening goal. And, yeah, I'm really pleased for him. Well, he hasn't had cold feet about it, has he? Um, <laughs> what's the situation with Callum Wilson? Because there was a problem injury-wise, wasn't there? Yeah, um, I got a message about that when I was um, driving home. Somebody suggesting it was his knee. And obviously, when you hear knee and Callum Wilson, you yeah. fear the worst because he's had two serious injuries. But I think Steve Bruce came out afterwards and said it was a hamstring injury, hopefully not too severe. And that, that's good news for, for Callum. It's, and it's good news for Newcastle as well, because I, I said before, with him in the team, they will score enough goals and win enough games not to get dragged into that relegation fight if there is a relegation fight at all anymore uh, yeah you uh, mentioned that earlier on I suppose that, that is the good news for Newcastle United they've put enough points on the ball and enough distance between them and the bottom three to sort of probably feel as if that the, the, the job is at least 75% done in terms of staying in the league um, West Bromwich Albion's job, job of staying in the league got a lot harder on Sunday again they gave far too much room to Harry Kane inside the penalty seven that Sam Allardyce bemoaned uh, during our after our live commentary game on Talksport. Tottenham won that by two goals to nil. Uh, let's get a bit of post match reaction from Sam. Hear what he had to say. One can only continue to uh, uh, work with the players and uh, continue to tell them about positioning. And this is about getting your positions and getting your defensive positions earlier. This is about what is the right decision. For instance, if we're to stop Harry Kane getting the ball in our box, our, our midfield player uh, did not shut down the player on the ball and allowed him too much time uh, to get his head up, put him under no pressure whatsoever to play that pass. And that was the first mistake. The second mistake was then Harry Kane should have been tracked into our box. That's the second mistake. You make two mistakes in the final third in the Premier League. Nine times out of ten, the team gets a chance to score. If you've got Harry Kane or Son on the end of it, ten times out of ten, probably they will score. Harry Kane was absolutely superb for uh, Tottenham Hotspur, wasn't he? I mean, look, I didn't know he was going to be back. I made the cardinal sin of leaving him on my fantasy league bench. <laughs> 
And then he's in the team, scoring points. Ah, it's killed me. He could have had a hat-trick because he actually missed two sitters by his standards in the first half. And on both occasions, he was allowed to ghost in behind the West Brom defence. And I was commentating this for TalkSport International. And I, I said to Kev Watson, the co-commentator, I'm, I don't know what Sam Allardyce's game plan is, but I'm pretty sure it's not to leave Harry Kane unmarked inside the <laughs> penalty area. That isn't a recipe for success. But, I mean, West Brom, one win in 13 now. They've conceded 28 goals in Allardyce's 10 games in charge. Their goal difference is minus 30-odd. They've conceded 54 goals, comfortably the worst defence in the Premier League. And they didn't sign a defender in the transfer window. They're going to finish bottom. One of the big problems Sam Allardyce is going to have now is that his record is going to end up being blemished, isn't it? Because there's not much chance of them pulling this around from here. Do you think he went there thinking that he could keep them up or was it sort of just a, just trying to get back in because he needed to make sure that he was still relevant? What do you think? The more I look at it, the more I think it's the latter um, because they're clearly not equipped to stay in the Premier League. Again, like Sheffield United, it's a largely championship squad. He signed five players in the window. Still don't think they've got enough to stay up. So I think it was just a case of him getting back into the job. He'll pick up the odd result like the draw at Anfield and that can go on his CV. But I think he knew, Trevor, it, it was a forlorn hope. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I feel um, Sam probably looked at the squad and thought he could turn them around, start keeping clean sheets like he tends to do when he goes in at clubs. Um, and I actually quite like Ajayi um, at the back with Bartley. I think they're a good pairing. Um, but you look at the squad depth and you look at the players going forward to score goals and, you, you listen, you need to keep clean sheets and, and not concede, what, 30, minus 36, their goal differences. Um, so they've obviously got a real problem defending and also scoring enough goals as well. And I think in both areas, they've been pretty poor. And I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to get out of this. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's quite obvious that they're going to struggle to get out of that. But I do feel Sam would have gone in there hoping that he could turn it around and, and maybe get more out of the players than he has. Jose Mourinho, did anybody hear his post-match interview? Was he nice and pleasant to people today or was he uh, particularly rude again? No, he was OK. And actually, he said he didn't want to speak about Kane and Son because it was a, a, a team effort. Um, he talked about bringing the, the young lad on in, in the second half of his debut at 16 and said he wants to be the manager to do that because, as we all know, Jose Mourinho is a, a great promoter of youth. Um, <laughs> but no, he, he, was, he was in a good mood and um, I think they <clears> needed that result, Tottenham. There was a lot of pressure on Tottenham today. I think West Brom made it easy for them with the way that they set up, but Spurs still had to be ruthless and, and, and go and get the win and, and they'll be hoping now that they can kickstart their season again because it's been a season of peaks and troughs, isn't it, as far as Tottenham are concerned? Well, Fulham nil, uh, West Ham United nil was our live game on Saturday at 5.30. I mean, it really was a dreadful football match. I mean, there were three shots on target in it between um, both teams. That's the lowest in the league this season so far. So, I mean, we won't make any bones about the fact that it was not a very good game because it wasn't. But, but West Ham has won, have won as many points now this season in 23 games as they did in the whole of last. So they'll be happy with that. They won't be happy with the sending off of Thomas Suchek because it wasn't a sending off. I think we all know it wasn't a sending off. Uh, Crook did a rant on Darren Bent's boot room, which is available, by the way, if you want to watch it uh, on the TalkSport Twitter feed. Um, there is a mistake that you have made in that rant. Far be it from me to pull you up on it, but I'm going to. Um, you didn't mention at any time during that, um, that, 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 that rant that Mike Dean, poor Mike Dean, actually hadn't really made bad decisions 
it, it made a mistake. It made one mistake, which was probably to give a penalty for Anthony Martial in midweek against Southampton, which probably wasn't a penalty. Apart from right. that, Mike Dean hasn't really made a mistake. The mistakes have been made by the video assistant referees getting involved in decisions that they did not need to get involved in. Thomas Suchek, after the accidental elbow where he's trying to lift his arm up and over the head of the defender, actually, that should have been checked and the VAR should have said check complete. Lee Mason, who was the fourth official, emphatic that it should be reviewed and looked at by the on-field referee. So Mike Dean is being told by another referee of Premier League standing who has got access to all sorts of technology, who's been involved in the game for 15 years, is being told... Mike Dean is being told by that man, Lee Mason, this is a red card because that's what he has to do. He can't say, you need to have a look at this, Mike. He can't say this might be a red card. Lee Mason has to say these words, that is a red card. Graham Scott, who was the fourth official at Old Trafford in midweek, told Mike Dean, you need to not give a penalty here. This is outside the penalty area in the first half against Southampton. That was wrong. Mike Dean on field had got it right. First of all, it was a penalty. He was the man, the VAR Graham Scott, who told Mike Dean he had to send off Jan Bednarek because of the, the, the laws. He didn't need to do that. So actually, Mike Dean comes under all sorts of scrutiny and gets a hell of a lot of a bad press, maybe because he brings it on himself because he's got say a that. very odd personality and looks a little bit like Jasper mm. Carrot. But, <laughs> but ultimately... Ultimately, the, the, the key problems here are, one, the law. The law is a major uh, issue. And the VAR, the operator of the VAR, the man in charge of, uh, of making those decisions in the booth in Stockley Park with the heating on, is getting it wrong and intervening, making themselves relevant when they don't need to be or trying to make themselves relevant when they don't need to be. It's interesting you mentioned Lee Mason there as well because the, the two have been intrinsically linked in, in, in recent weeks. Um, Mike Dean was VAR when Lee Mason was the on-pitch official. Southampton against Villa, clear handball, not given against Matt Cash. The Danny Ings one, probably by the rules, it is correct to disallow that goal for offside. Then we fast forward to Old Trafford. Mike Dean is the on-pitch referee. I think Lee Mason was, was fourth official, not too far away um, from the controversy. And then it all came together to a crescendo at Craven Cottage. My argument would be, if the red card against Southampton has been overturned. It's a mistake. You're saying by VAR, I'm saying Mike Dean could have been brave enough to say, actually, I think you're wrong there. I'm going to stick by my decision. But they don't do that, do they? Because but should they, should they have not been taken off? Lee Mason and Mike Dean, having made these mistakes, should they have not been demoted? And I don't no. agree with a demotion to the championship because I think it's unfair on the championship. But what it think, highlights is... I don't think that, Mike Dean should have been demoted this weekend because I don't think that in the game against um, Southampton on Wednesday night at Old Trafford, he made many mistakes. If he, the only mistake he made is he might have given a soft penalty. And I think that's forgivable. And I don't think actually anyone would have moaned about it if Benderick hadn't have been sent off, which he wasn't going to do. So had there have not been any VAR in that game, guess what? No one would have spoken about any of the incidents. So I don't think Dean is to blame. I do think Graham Scott is. And, and he's Mike Riley much. to blame because he's the man who oversees all of this. He's the don of referees and yes. it's been an absolute disaster yes. for two seasons. But I, I think VAR's got a major problem. Trevor, I don't know whether, how we solve it because the problems come stem from the very, very top of the organisation that runs the, the lawmaking, IFAB, because David Eller is rewriting rules badly and the IFAB protocol is implemented badly. 
there's a really easy way to get people on side with VAR. It's, it's really, it's actually incredibly simple. The laws need to be correctly written and less ambiguous. Fair enough. But also, the in-stadium audience and the television audience need to hear the direct communication between the VAR and the referee explaining why a decision is being made. That way, we all understand what, what, what's going on. It reduces the room for speculation and also shows up the idiots who are making spurious decisions, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm fuming, Sam. I've got to be honest. I was watching that game um, and there wasn't a nasty challenge in there in the whole of that game. You know, what we were in, uh, time added on towards this, the end this of the is, game. This is the Fulham-West Ham game. This is the Fulham-West yes. Ham game. It was on you've, a got a player, you've got a player, and you have to look at the player's personality. There's not been any nasty tackles in the game. It's a London derby, but it's not being played in that way. It's being played in the right spirit of the game. And these things come into, these things have to come into consideration when you make a decision which Mike Dean made. Now, I know you're saying that Lee Mason said you've made a mistake, something's gone on there, which you quite, can quite easily miss because, remember, this was a free kick or a, a, a corner coming in. So sometimes you're looking at the corner taker. Sometimes, mm. So it's easy to miss that little coming he together. Because between... he, was, he was applying the spray on the floor. Right, so, so between uh, Suchek and Mitrovic. It's an unseen now, incident, yeah. I think we've all, we all kind of understand what's happened. He's trying to get his arm over him so he can yep. maybe make a movement behind him. Lee Mason's got involved. He said, that is a red card, like you've just said. You've explained yep. to us that. So he's going to look at the clip. Why is he not looking at the whole clip? Because for what I've seen, he no, looked no. at about 0.5 or a second of the same clip, which doesn't show the whole movement and the whole three or four seconds leading up to that. And if he would have done that, he would have made the right decision and said, it's obviously he's trying to put his arm over him. He's trying to move out the way so he can make a run off him. I'm going to say, I'm going to overrule my mate. It might, he might be embarrassed by it yeah. or it might upset, upset him. But he didn't give himself the chance by not looking at the full clip. Well, he can only, get, he can only look at the clips that they give him. But I, I, oh, think, I, I think he should have said, he should have cured, said no, Honestly, no action. It should be a yellow card. He, I'm he, cured he, of it. He have been brave enough to do that. But I also think that he's being told repeatedly, this is a red card, this is a red card. I've seen it. I've got to make this judgment. Now, I do think that Mike Dean needs to step away and then turn around. And I don't think he was sure, by the way, because he saw he stood there and watched that clip 20, 30 times. And if he was that sure about it, it was, I mean, you could see the incident in one slow-mo replay. It's just, it's pretty obvious what happened. We all know, we could all see what happened straight away. I don't think he was he was sure about it, to be honest with you. And not even that, you know, it's not that it's going to affect that game too much because that game was done. No, it's Tuesday night. But West Ham possibly could be mi missing one of their most influential players for the next three games. And that, that just, that, that, that winds me up. And is there a fear that because they've already overturned one of Mike Dean's decisions and he was the man who brandished the red card to Jan Bednarek, if they do that again, twice in such a short period of time, are they undermining Mike Dean? And therefore, is there a danger that they might uphold this just to protect his integrity? I hope, I don't I hope not. I hope not, um, because that would be wrong. I hope that what they do is, is they realise that it's the VARs that are causing the problem and that the VAR should be sanctioned. Lee Mason, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That is, that is poor officiating. Graham Scott, he's not good enough. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be refereeing or being a VAR in the Premier League. The VARs, the best VARs would be assistant referees because assistant referees understand 
what they're looking for off the ball. They understand what's going on in the crowded penalty area because that's their job. That's part of their job. That's what they do. You know, referees, actually, I'm not necessarily sure they're best placed to be uh, VARs, to be honest. Get Trevor in there. I've, I've said before, the best people to be in the VAR booths are ex-players because you know what you're looking for. You don't want to go out on the pitch, most ex-professionals, and be subjected to abuse from players and from the fans. You can sit in a, in a cosy office at Stockley Park. We'll still abuse them. But you can actually you can actually help our referees because they need help because I'm not buying it's a VAR problem because, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, there hasn't been the level of controversy saying the Bundesliga that there has in the Premier League. It crops up week in, week out in the Premier League. I do think that um, there is still controversy in other leagues. I don't think that they're immune from it. I think they've had it and handled it better than we have. Um, I do think also, I mean, in the MLS, for example, they did this brilliant thing where they have explainer videos on a Monday morning where the the guy who's in charge of the the MLS stuff comes out and actually does a video explaining why this decision was given and why not. All that transparency, all that openness, all all that communication... All helps. You know, Mike, Riley, I've spoken to, I've dealt with. I don't think they've done a good enough job in the way they communicate. I do think they're hampered by IFAB protocol and I do think they're hampered by laws. I do. I think the laws are rubbish. They're absolutely rubbish because they've taken out intent and uh, deliberateness and accidental doesn't count anymore. All that kind of stuff has gone and that means there's no room for common sense and there's no, they're, they're trying to take out grey areas. But as we all know, You've played the game, Trevor. There's so many grey areas. And at the moment, the decisions that are being made, I actually feel it's harming uh, the integrity um, of the Premier League and also the the officiating that's going on in the Premier League. So by their interpretations of the law now, they're actually hurting the Premier League's brand. Well, we've we've hurt the the Premier League and the integrity of this season in particular because in in the first month of the season, we were giving a penalty for absolutely anything. Since then, the number of penalties per game has decreased by, a th- by, by, by three times the amount, right? And we've changed the law halfway through the season on offside because of an incident that happened in a Manchester City-Aston Villa game. So we've got a completely different set of criteria in the second half of the season than we had in the first. Apart from that, it's going well. Uh, Wolves nil, <laughs> Leicester City nil. A lack of cutting edge from two teams who regularly draw nil-nil. In fact, four of the last six meetings have been nil-nil. I mentioned this on Thursday's pod. We had that wonderful 4-3 between the two of them, but both of them were very lacklustre again uh, this Sunday. Fabio Silva probably had the best chance of the game, but was denied by Kasper Schmeichel. Um, Wolves disappointing in terms of the fact they're still not scoring any goals, Crook. And they're pretty dull to watch as well, aren't they? Um, (laughs) In all honesty, (laughs) it wasn't a great spectacle. Um, Graham Scott on VAR. Absolutely, that would have livened it up. But listen, I think there's positives <laughs> for both sides in terms of in key absentees returning from injury. Obviously, Johnny started the game for Wolves. He's missed an awful lot of football. I think they've missed his energy uh, bombing forward from fullback. And Jamie Vardy being reintegrated in the second half by Leicester as well. I think it's a better point for Wolves in, in their current run than it is for Leicester. And there's so many teams now competing for that final couple of top four places because I think the two Manchester clubs will finish in the top four that those two drop points could come back to haunt Leicester at the end of the season uh, Burnley against Brighton finished 1-1 Brighton unbeaten now in five Premier League games their joint longest run without losing Brighton very neat and tidy Trevor very well organised but 
they don't score enough goals. And actually, Sanchez made a couple of really good saves towards the end of that match. Burnley played very well, despite the fact that they're missing Chris Wood. Yeah, like both teams. Um, I think they've both got a clear DNA, how they like to play. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sean Dyche. I think he gets every ounce of ability out of, the, out of his players. Um, Dwight McNeil's improving all the time. Um, and, and yeah, they're, you know, they, they take responsibility on the pitch. They're a fantastic side uh, at getting the best out of themselves. And I always thought they'd have too much to go down. Even now, when you look at them, what, 23 points, eight points outside, it, they don't even come into my thinking or my thought pattern when you start thinking about clubs that could go down. Um, Brighton, I think they've got a good brand of football, possession-based football. Uh, got some key players, but again, they don't score enough goals. Uh, but I do feel they're managed well um, for the for the finances that go into that football club. And again, I think they'll be safe. And yeah, you know, they they they've been on a decent run, and it's no surprise to me. I don't think I'd be confident enough to say that I wouldn't have Burnley in my thinking as a team that might go down. The I reason, wouldn't. The reason I would think that they're candidates for possibly the drop maybe not now because we know we know what the table situation is but one of the reasons even two three weeks ago I was thinking that there's still a possibility they might is they don't score any goals they've scored 14 goals this season in the Premier League Manchester United scored almost as many this week <laughs> yeah, but that's slightly skewed by putting nine in against Southampton. But I take your point. I actually think it's a big summer um, for Burnley because the rumours about Sean Dyche and his future haven't really gone away. If Crystal Palace do part company with Roy Hodgson, as we've been predicting on this podcast for a few weeks now, I think he would be a, a contender for that job. James Tarkovsky, from what I understand, would, would like to move on and perhaps join a club higher up the food chain. And we, we don't yet know if the new owners have the the disposable income to, to really spend on the squad. If they don't, then, then next season could be a concern for them. But I think it's been a great week for Brighton um, to beat Tottenham at home, back that up with a win at Anfield, and then to go to a place like Turf Moor and, and tough out a gritty point. So arguably been their best week since they became a Premier League club. And I think it's taken a while, but finally, I think Graham Potter's tactics are starting to pay off. Ah, so will they be able to keep hold of him? Darren Bent thinks he should be the next Tottenham manager. <laughs> well, I, I, I think they're, they're looking at the stats, they were very lucky to get away uh, from Turf Moor with a point, yeah. you know, especially the second half. Burnley absolutely destroyed them, did everything apart from putting the ball in the net. And uh, yeah, just shown to me, you've got a, a bunch of men there getting everything out of their own uh, ability and, and putting it onto the pitch for the manager. And I'd be concerned if I was a Burnley fan, because if there's any chance that Sean Dyche could believe leaving that football club, one, You've well, got he to will be a certain live. player. Well, he will You've live got because to be a... he's been there so long. He's going to happen at some stage. I mean, he's not going to stay there forever. And ultimately, he has to he has to think about betterment, doesn't he? He can't keep finishing fourth from bottom, fifth from bottom. He, he has to do something else. Otherwise, what, what what's he achieving? Yeah, but I'll be concerned for Burnley because the players they've got, I can't see another manager in the Premier League getting the same amount out of that, that group of players. <laughs> they didn't even make a sub on Saturday. The machines... It was quite outstanding, really, you know, to, to play, you know, games as many as there have been, especially recently, and then not make a substitute. I mean, maybe that's because he hasn't got anybody he feels he can bring onto the field of play. But, you know, it is a, it's a fascinating situation. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your company. I will see you on uh, Thursday for our podcast looking ahead to the weekend. Keep uh, subscribing, downloading and telling all your friends about the Game Day podcast from TalkSport.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.